Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by uh, Janet Pollock. And I'm really excited to be chatting with Janet today um, because she's written a really great book, which we're going to be discussing in today's interview. But I'm also really interested in her previous experience, which she'll elaborate on in her introduction, because she's got great leadership experience, having had a career in the military, but also really having kind of a focus on inclusivity as part of that. And that really brings into uh, into the work that she she does now. So um, the book that Janet wrote is called The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make, How to Avoid Them and Thrive. Um, you can get a copy of her book on Amazon. But we will be going through uh, three of the seven mistakes that managers make. Um, and we're also going to throw in a bonus topic as well. So um, Janet, thanks ever so much for joining me. It's great to see you. It is great to be here. Toby, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about frontline leadership and some of the challenges that they face. So I alluded to a bit of your background in in the opening remarks that I just made. But for the the benefit of our listener today, could you just explain a bit more about who you are, your background and and what led you to this, this point in your career? Absolutely, Toby. So I graduated from college with a degree in education in the middle of the calendar year, in the middle of a recession in the United States. And uh, I am American and I have grown up and lived here most of my life, although not all of it, and uh, could find a teaching job. And so I looked around and I said, what should I do? Peace was breaking out all over the world. And so I said, how about the United States military? I looked at all four of our major services and the Marine Corps recruiter was just really good at connecting me to mission and vision and purpose. And so I joined the Marines. Uh, I spent a total of 20 years on active duty and also in the reserves. I was activated during the first desert storm in Iraq, met my husband in the Marine Corps. We have been married for many, many years. And that really gave me my underpinnings about what is leadership all about? What does good leadership look like? The United States Marine Corps spends a lot of time developing its leaders. There's something called service schools. And so uh, once you get commissioned, you spend nine months at the basic school. And then as a captain, you spend another nine or 10 months at amphibious warfare school and up and up the ladder. That also goes for non-commissioned officers, our enlisted ranks. And so the Marine Corps really gave me an underpinning of what does leadership look like and how do you develop it? And since then, I've worked in corporate roles in human resources and human resource development, and then have been out on my own for the last several years, living and uh, working in the Midwest and helping leaders be even more effective leaders. Uh, along the way, I had a very short stint, well, a medium stint, I guess, living in Shanghai, China. Uh, my husband taught at one of the international schools, and I worked at a company called Corn Ferry International, where I got to work from leaders all over the world, helping them, again, tune their leadership skills. And what I discovered, Toby, is regardless of where you're living in the world, when you work particularly for a for-profit company, you, leadership is leadership you know, connecting with employees one-on-one, helping them set the direction for their career, helping them 
access stretch assignments where they'll learn and grow. Those are all really critical, whether you're living in Great Britain or Ireland or Iceland or Puerto Rico or Shanghai, China. That's really cool. And I mean, you, you wrote the book, which is great. And when we were preparing for this interview, we discussed the seven mistakes that you cover in your book. And I think we handpicked three of them, which I think lend themselves to diversity and inclusion particularly well. So we'll, we'll discuss those. So let's just dive straight into mistake number three, um, which is not not developing your team. What are your thoughts and experiences around that, particularly when it comes to equality, diversity and inclusion? Sure. So what we do in business across the world is we find individual contributors who are doing a great job. They deliver results. They exceed expectations. And we say, ta-da, I bet you're going to be a great manager. So we don't give them any training. We don't give them any insights. We just say, well, you must be good at that. So you must be good at this. If we drew a Venn diagram and said, here's the skills of an individual contributor and the skills of a manager, we'd see that there's not a lot of overlap. And that's why I wrote the book fundamentally is to help all those brand new managers figure out what is it they do. Mistake number three, not developing your team I think we always think, okay, if I have to do some team development, I'm going to send them off to a training course. Uh, There might be an industry one. There might be something down the street. It may or may not be relevant to their job. What we know from research is that people struggle with taking a course offsite and then applying those same concepts to their job because their job is very different. And that training offsite is very generic. And so the challenge with developing your team is taking time to help them learn in their role. You find out what's interesting to them, what they aspire to, and then give them opportunities to learn and grow, knowing that they may make some mistakes. And that's okay, because that's part of learning and growing. You might pair them with somebody else who knows how to do uh, a task really, really well. Or um, you might teach them how to do that task yourself. But it's really the mistake of not developing your team is all about doing it in role on the job. And it fits, of course, into inclusive leadership because so often as leaders, when we're busy, we go to our go-to people. You know, those one or two individuals that we always can depend on. And yet, If we just go to them over and over again, A, we've overloaded them, and B, we've under-leveraged everybody else on our team. I'm glad you said that because I cover that exact point in some training that I run uh, where we look at bias. And I don't know if you've come across this before, but there's an organization in the States called the Neuroleadership Institute, Mm -hmm. and they've created a really useful model for categorizing bias. It's called the SEEDS model. Because a lot of bias training looks at bias that we have in favor or against different groups of people, which I think can be quite unhelpful because if if it's managed poorly, people can often leave that training mislabeling themselves as being racist or homophobic or sexist. But the SEEDS model, one one of the biases that they talk about is, is expedience bias, mm. particularly, you know, going to the same person on your team to get a job done quickly because you know that they can do it quickly with minimal supervision especially if you're a line manager that's overloaded with things on your to-do list already you're you're particularly prone to to that bias yep 
So when I talk about delegation in, in the book and when I do workshops about delegation, I encourage leader to start with the task. So often we start with the person. And again, that's where our bias comes in, Toby, as you were just describing. But if you start with the task, here's the task that needs to be done. Now, how do I share and train on that task? And then how do I pick who is who I'm going to delegate that task for? I think it's one way to try to start minimizing that bias that I think we all naturally have, especially like you said, when we get so busy. Yes, we're particularly prone to expedience bias when, we, when we've got that high cognitive load mm-hmm. and we're working under stress and pressure and we have to hit a tight deadline. And often we see a couple of biases working together in tandem. So not only do we have the expediency bias, but there's that similarity bias as well that, you know, we like to hang out with people that are just like ourselves. Yes. And we create in-groups and out-groups and then we might overlook the skills and abilities and attributes of people that we deem to be in our out-group and it's, it's fascinating how they, how they work together. Well, and we've all had that experience of finally dipping our toe into that out group and discovering the conversation, the different perspectives, the unique orientations that that group then brings to the table. And I think oftentimes we kick our, ourselves and say, why didn't I start there? It would have been a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's move on to mistake number four. Yes. Which is the failure to take time to give and receive feedback. What's your experience in giving and receiving feedback? I think we uh, struggle with giving feedback because we think we're going to hurt someone's feelings. We're worried about how they're going to react. We're worried about alienating them, especially if we don't know them very well and we need to give them feedback. Well, I encourage people to learn how to give good feedback. And I use a framework of talking about what you observants saw with specifics, describe the impact, and then figure out together the way forward. So you're not plowing over old ground and saying, well, you would have, should have, could have done this differently. So often when someone makes a mistake in the workforce, they're aware of it and they don't feel good about it. And so bringing it up again hammering back to them about this didn't go right. Instead, I like feedback to talk about looking forward. What are you going to do next time? How might you do something differently? And letting them figure out what that way forward is rather than, well, next time you need to spend three hours preparing for your presentation and practicing in front of four people. Well, that may not be Hey, I may not have capacity to do that. And it may not be my style in preparing. And so thinking about asking that individual, how might you be more prepared next time? What do you need to do? What are the routines that will work for you? It feels very coaching-like discussion, doesn't it? It sure does. Helping your colleague identify for themselves how to improve as well. So well said, Toby. And I think that's really the essence of that brand new frontline leadership uh, role is to adopt a sense of I'm working through others. I'm not getting my it done myself. And when we work through others, we have to accept that those others may do things differently. And that's great yeah. because we come up with a different solution. We come up with novel ideas. We come up with things that may be more efficient. They may not be the way we chose to do them, but they certainly will um, 
help us think about things in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of the Deloitte six signature traits of inclusive leadership. And one of the things that they talk about is being collaborative Mm -hmm. in your team. But the other thing that stands out for me really is about courageousness and personal risk taking. Because I think when it comes to giving feedback, particularly if you're talking to somebody who you might quote unquote perceive to be different to you, you might actually have some fear about saying something that might cause offence that might be attached to one of their identity. So, but I, I, I have a physical disability and I'm in a wheelchair and I've had managers in the past who have been afraid to give me direct feedback because they were worried that it might be perceived as something to do with my disability. You know, maybe I didn't do a task quick enough mm-hmm. and they might think that that's because I'm disabled. Um, but, you know, you're, you're denying somebody that growth opportunity if you, if you don't have that boldness and you don't have that conversation with them. Yes. And really, it's not good feedback is not about you, Toby. It's about the action that you did and the impact that it had on somebody else. And that's a business conversation. That's not a personality conversation. And so even when you interact with someone that you may perceive as being different than yourself, if you can keep those two things in mind, uh, that will start the conversation on a very productive route. Absolutely. And uh, let's go on to, so mistake number six in your book is um, sticking with the status quo. And I really like this one personally, because I can see a direct correlation between that and diversity and inclusion. What, what are your sort of key takeaways for, for this mistake? Well, the chapter about sticking with status quo is all about innovation and how do you on your team think about innovation? And of course, what we know about brain science and the way we work is that we can't uh, segment 10 minutes in a regular meeting to say, okay, now we're going to innovate. Uh, You have to set time aside and you have to use tools to help us think out of our regular um, mindset. And so the chapter has a lot of great tools about helping leaders think, use tools to get people to think about a problem, a situation, an issue differently. One of my favorite tools, uh, because I'm often asked if I have a favorite one, is called Make It Worse. And so the team together thinks about the problem or the issue And what would it take to actually make that problem worse? What are all the things you could do to make that worse? And it's a lot of fun. People, I've used it many times. People tend to laugh and giggle both at themselves and their organization. And so first you list all of those. And then one by one, you say, okay, now how do we make it better? And out of that, you can get some real gold. I think it allows people to contribute as they are comfortable And um, maybe they don't want to talk about how to make it worse, but they're more inclined about how to make it better. And so it it looks at a situation from two different perspectives. And I think it really creates some breakthrough thinking. I think that's really cool. And the reason why I like the sticking with status quo mistake is because, again, going back to the Neuroleadership Institute model, they talk about experience bias and really status quo comes into that. So when you hear people say things like, 
we tried that 10 years ago, it didn't work, we won't do that again, or this is the way that we do things around here, then you know that that experience bias is really kicking in. And also around status quo is that we know that with diverse teams and perspectives and people coming from different walks of life and lived experiences, that actually that helps with creativity and innovation. And so many of my clients want that creativity and innovation because it means that they're going to come up with better solutions for their clients and design better products and services and that kind of thing. I I try to make the point in the book, Toby, that innovation isn't just for the R&D team. It's not just for those guys over there. It can be done in all the work that we do. And sometimes it can just improve a really nagging process that is broken or irritating. And sometimes it can create a really big breakthrough for the organization that can be advanced. Innovation has to happen at the team level. Absolutely. So we said that we would talk about a bonus mistake, Mm -hmm. which is mistake number seven, and that's not getting ahead of the change. What's, What's that all about? Well, that one is all about managing change. And so as frontline leaders, we often get change done to us rather than implementing a change ourselves. And I think our automatic reaction is to uh, roll our eyes and say, look what they did to us again. And that defeatist sense will not really get us anywhere. And I think often our team then is allowed to pile on. And so Uh, not getting ahead of change. It's all about the tools and techniques to help you think about a change that your team is facing and how do you manage through it? How do you think about the stakeholders impacted? How do you think about how they might react? What do they need to know about, to learn about so that they will feel um, invested in the change and then actually do something differently? Yeah, I'm so pleased that you wrote about this because I hear it so often from people that they feel like diversity and inclusion is being done to them mm. by the HR department. And and also a lot of organizations are just lacking the rigor and the structure to, to drive change in their organizations. So often that those responsible for implementing diversity and inclusion just end up feeling overwhelmed, like they're chasing their tails, that they're they're just so busy being busy and doing stuff, but it, then they just don't have the desired impact. Yeah, I mean, in my own book, I dedicated a whole chapter on on change. So I think we're both on the same page. So what is your advice to the person listening to us right now about how they can go back to their own organization and practically develop their frontline leaders? Well, I think you can do it in a number of ways. One way is to just get some new leaders together and start to have a conversation, read articles, read my book, discuss a chapter at a time, and have a conversation. Uh, The book is a lot of just plain simple how to do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I think another step is to uh, get people together and have someone like you or I who really knows some of these basic uh, tasks and how to do them, and get them and, and literally teach how to do Uh, these kind of things. I think managers of managers often don't think about how they do what they do. 
they think about how to run the business, which is, you know, getting the supply chain fixed and delivering to uh, customers and so forth. But they often don't think very deliberately about how to be a good manager. And so partnering with people uh, like yourself and myself, I think often helps come up with the basics about how to do these kinds of things well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before you go, a question that I ask everybody when they they come on the podcast is, what does inclusive growth mean to you? And I think particularly, you know, your perspective of developing frontline managers and great leaders and and avoiding those, those seven mistakes that you talk about in your book. I think it's about bringing everybody along. The problems that we face in businesses today, whether we're recovering from COVID or recovering from the supply chain issues or potentially recession on the horizon, are difficult problems. And we need every single individual on board helping to solve them. And if we're not bringing everybody around, we don't come up with the best solutions. We come up with solutions that worked five or 10 years ago, as you mentioned earlier, Toby. So inclusive growth to me is to making sure that everybody at the end of the day says, you know what, I contributed something today. That felt really good. Brilliant. Now, um, before we go, if the person listening to us right now wants to get their hands on the copy of your book or they want to learn more about you and the work that you do, how can they do that? Well, my website is www.inthelead.co. Uh, they can go there and actually download the first chapter of the book for free. And Brilliant. they they can also order the book uh, for themselves and their other shared managers. Fantastic. Well, Janet, thank you ever so much for joining me on the show today. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And what I really like about your your book and the mistakes is, like you say, it's very practical. Yeah, it's Great. things that people can can put into action. So, um, you know, we've covered loads today. So we've covered three out of the seven mistakes. So we talked about, you know, the risks of not developing your team, the failure of taking time to give people honest feedback that helps them grow and develop. And then also sticking with the status quo and some of the, the biases that might be tied up in that and the lack of creativity and innovation that might come from sticking with the status quo. And then finally, how you can actually implement change or not getting ahead of the change as you stay in the seventh and final mistake in your book. So, um, yeah, Janet, thanks ever so much for, for joining me today. And thank you for, for tuning into this episode of the Intrusive Growth Show with Janet and myself. Hopefully you've taken away some really insightful information that you can just take back to your, your team and apply straight away to help you develop your own leadership and frontline leadership capabilities. Um, Until the next time, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Podcast, which will be coming up very soon. Until then, take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.